Welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast with Matthew Robinson and his gaming group. I am Matthew Robinson, and this is round one, turn three, and my guest today is Alfred Darlington. Welcome, Alfred. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here. This is episode three. We are we are chugging right along, moving at a, a, a brisk clip, if you will. I can't believe all the love and affection this podcast is already I know heard. seems pretty great there seems to be people to be enjoying it we were uh on new and new new and noteworthy on uh itunes the other day in the hobbies and game section i didn't even do that i didn't like call anyone it just happened i mean i i oftentimes feel like uh gaming is like my dirty secret and like nobody else other than my gaming group really knows my exact passion and sure. to hear that there's other people out there who are asking you questions i know about the way they can play with their pregnant wife apparently is <laughs> it's a common question. It is a common question. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm amazed and honored to be part of this. So thank you so much for having us. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. And we, we have been gaming together for a long time. A few years a few, now. Uh, almost 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, we've met through mutual friends. We, we, we were both born and raised Angelinos. Yeah. And uh, did not go to the same high school, but went to, I guess, like sister schools in a way. Near enough. We should have known each other better. Yeah. We We had many friends in common. And it was later in our life that that I learned you were a gamer and you learned I was a gamer. But but that being said, like I wasn't a gamer in the same way. Like I had come from a long, rich past in like role-playing games and and deterministic games like chess yeah but I, you dipped your toes into a lot of things you were yeah. into minis for a while you played a little warhammer i, I believe played a lot of warhammer i played bad armies and Warhammer. and you introduced me to my first flgs do you know what an flgs stands for uh flgs stands for first legend <laughs> <laughs> that is a friendly local game store you oh. introduced me to arrow hobbies in santa monica oh, a wonderful board game store with a uh, wonderful and helpful owner named Keith, yeah. who is so kind and great. He, is. Uh, he took it over for, uh, do you remember the gentleman's name who owned Arrow Hobbies before? I, I, I'm really doing myself a disservice by not remembering because um, it'll come to me later. He was a lovely mostly. chap. He, I he remember was... him from my youth because I went there to buy model airplanes and cars when oh, I went wow. through a phase when I was like 10. And that was the local store. And then Keith took it over yeah. after I believe he passed or at least retired. No, that, that is one of the best stories I have. And it's only because of an FLGS now that I have this now term you know in my it. pocket that this is even possible but um and again i am so sad that i don't remember his name but it'll come to you that it'll come to you right when i hit the record button and we stop (laughs) that funeral apparently was one of the most interesting and it's only something that could ever happen in la because that gentleman was was a curmudgeon actually he was like one of these nars gnars what's the phrase for like (laughs) these like super hardcore game guys oh yeah uh well that'll come to me too in a second yeah But, but that that gentleman was the ultimate version of that. He actually hated kids being in his shop. Right, right. He wanted it to be grognards. grognards That's the word yeah. And for. he totally would kick us kids out. He would accuse us constantly of, of stealing, which <laughs> of course is probably something that was happening with like the Warhammer, the Warhammer 40K. Yeah, or magic mini, cards. And those are all so expensive and so yeah. it all makes some kind of sense. But basically he would chase us out and so it kind of was like not your friendly gaming store. It was like the hardcore. But also like that's kind of my jam. Like it, I well, kind of love that Increasingly guy. you kind of sympathize and understand. Yeah. But I will say at his funeral he he, he passed before his time, like most most do, and at his funeral were a whole breakdance crew because he was into breakdancing. Also, <laughs> what is that live action role play where you have like swords that are wrapped in like yeah um, tape? Uh, yeah, I'll look it up. Yeah, but like those people were present. The breakdance crew was present. All like the board game, the people who would basically like they their bodies look like the seats at the board game table. Like all those crews came together to form his people who were sending him off wow so, so he had an eclectic group but it also kind of makes sense like the people who are into board gaming are 
diverse and have lots of different interests. And what unites us is is somewhat our mind, right? Like our strange brain who needs boffer, a boffer LARP. That's what that word we're looking for. That's yeah. where they have uh, like foam swords and stuff. I've never done it, but it seems really strange as like a LARP possibility because it's like airsoft meets LARPing, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. There you go. Not strange. Totally normal. So totally normal. Thank you for introducing me to that store. It was it was a huge part of the beginning of Gary. My, of, his name is Gary. Gary. Well done. There it is. Didn't even have to wait to the end. Uh, thank you for introducing me to Arrow Hobbies. If you're in Los Angeles, that is that is one of the, the the main stores to go to. Especially if you're on the west side of Los Angeles, that is your only store. Yeah, that and is they your get only the FLGS. amount of questions they get. I hear them picking up the phone all the time. Like they sure they do some miniature stuff. They yeah. do some, but like if you're looking for the craziest of the crazy, they're they're your spot. They are a great, wonderful little store in Santa Monica, California. Um, Alfred is the rules lawyer. That is the role that you take on our podcast. Uh, the rules lawyer is the person who. Uh, is there to keep us all honest in a lot of ways and to make sure that we are following the rules. It's somebody who who enjoys a clean and uh, methodical gaming session, who wants, who wants to experience the game the way that is meant to be played, the way the designer intended. And it's not about following the rules in an OCD way. It's more about... I want to experience the game the way it's intended to be experienced, and, and, and I want any victory and or defeat that, that befalls any of us to be legit, to not have an asterisk next to it. Like, yeah. well, you only won because we forgot this rule, or you only lost because you forgot to do this. So Alfred is often very aware of everybody else's board states and making sure that we are keeping our upkeep, making sure we take our income, making sure we get our right victory points, making sure we don't take too many victory points often. Uh, I derive a lot of pleasure when I, when I see the game going well, and it, it, it means that everyone's on even footing. And, it, and the rest of my life isn't like this. Like I don't feel like I'm as detail-oriented in the yes. rest of my life. And yet at the same time, board games really are the safe space where if the game is going well, it, it often it means that the state is clear and that sure. the rules have been and explained. And life is chaotic and board games are in many ways the opposite of chaos. Solace. And and so let's let's make it as controlled as can be in order to facilitate the fun. See, the rules lawyer is often used in a derogatory way. Yeah, that's what as I'm like saying. the fun police, right? That's another synonym for it. It's fun police. The guy who comes along and goes, uh, "Sorry, you actually can't do that because in round one we are da 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 da," and everybody just goes, "Okay, fun police." But you, it, it, it is not, it is in no way negative. In fact, I think it is a wonderful positive and an, a great asset to our group because it helps me as the teacher of most games relax a little bit mm. because like I said in, in our episode one where I was talking about you, I often, uh, you know, miss rules or, you know, I, I have, when you're teaching a game, if you've ever taught in a complicated board game before, A, it's exhausting. Yeah. B, you forget little things. And especially while you're teaching, especially like in a learning game, you're not necessarily playing your best. And so you might actually be forgetting certain things that are happening or trying to make sure people understand the big picture and miss the details. And you make sure that I don't miss the details, which, which is necessary. Well, I just appreciate the details. I appreciate the way these games are different from each other and, and the nuances that create the game state. That, yeah. that create forward motion or create trouble, uh, bottlenecks that have to be dealt with in ways that are you know, just that, that, that give us a creative, a creative impulse. Yeah. There's, there is a creativity to the way you play a board game, the way you approach the Absolutely. table and, and it, it creativity goes, within parameters, within parameters. Exactly. And which is, you know, maybe a definition of creativity anyways, it has to be something appreciated over, over a time period it has to. And, and also this also includes the way the board games are designed, like mm -hmm. fiddly bits can be really magical, but then they also can literally be the thing that makes it so nobody can keep track of their game state right. and everybody's just 
and I don't mean to overly geek out about that. I mean, this is what we're here to do. But at yeah. the same time, I, the derogatory thing plays, like sometimes I feel like it's a little much. Yeah, I can tell there's a little bit of guilt in you and yeah. doing it, but you, but also can't uh, you can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> you are, it's happening. The train has left the station often and you are just like, guys, I know and I've said this 30 times, but you've missed it 29 times and I have to say it again. <laughs> and I will say that one of the things, uh, backsies, this is a term mm. that maybe other people who aren't familiar what with is it, games, what, Yeah, to Define a backsie for us. So in, in my definition, it is when you missed a play of opportunity mm. and it's, it's oftentimes it isn't because you missed not doing something right it isn't mm-hmm. because you you made a mistake and you want to correct the game it's usually about you missed a good play i realized i could have gotten four more victory points on my last turn and it only dawned on me two turns later right and so a, a very innocent backseas is oh this thing that will change none of the board state none right. of the game i'm gonna do and I, I might get some advantage of it or i might get some disadvantage of it but it like it's basically nothing has changed but right. the real the real time that the backseas becomes hard to manage and difficult for me especially is when it changes the board when there's state. a rewind when we have to rewind the game state that can and you will see alfred you will see him twitch <laughs> you will see a shudder come but across the table it, it isn't like i'm free from it i mean like uh like has been talked about before in this game like we're playing a lot of new games we're, we're blazing new trails almost constantly mm-hmm. and so it is hard to keep track of the game state and yep. and we're oftentimes going to the addendum or if we're playing expansions like sometimes it is things that weren't even thought about by the designer. Like it's things that were missed. So it's like, wow, we're on the very, the edge of these games. So that's great. But that means that sometimes there is rules that are hard to manage. And, and I think it, it's says something a little bit about the game itself. When you, when you come across some language that's fiddly, Mm -hmm. um, it, and it doesn't. It isn't clear, and we have to go to an addendum or an errata or online. Sure. It, it takes us out of the game a little bit. And and we're a very friendly and loving group. We are not a cutthroat competitive group. We are very chill with backsies. We yeah. get, but there is there are there is one kind of backsies that's always okay. If the next person has not yet done anything permanent, right? The person who went before them is allowed to go. Oh wait, you haven't done anything. You haven't made any decisions, and I just realized I could have done this. Do you, does anybody mind if I do? And everybody's very respectful in the group. They always there's always a does anybody mind? Yeah. Um, there's like a house rule about it. Like yeah. we have a very good understanding. Yeah. I think other- unspoken house rule for the most part. Yeah. But but we but and there is a direct correlation between the amount of sp- experience you've had with that specific game mm-hmm. and the amount we are going to forgive your backseat. Yeah. So if you've played the game ten times and a turn has passed and you realized that you forgot to do something, you, then you forgot to do something. And, and we are usually in a very, you know, warm and friendly way going to go, this isn't your first rodeo, buddy. Yeah. You've taken your hand off the piece yeah, long you, ago. You, you missed that. Uh, that being said, I do think there are certain, there are certain games that are make that easier or harder, right? There are certain mm-hmm. games where a backseas can be completely so destructive to the Yes. It, the more interactive the game, the more messed up the backseas is right. going to be to the game state, right? A lot of games we play are sort of uh, multiplayer solitaire to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. We're all sort of in our corners doing our thing. So if you change something, it might not have an effect on anybody else's games. Everybody goes, I don't care. Go well, ahead. Can I, say, can I tell you how crazy some of those games make me? Okay, so like specifically speaking to the being like a little bit of the rules lawyer, like games that are largely on your own board yeah. where I feel... Oh, that must be exhausting for you. I'm having to keep track of everybody's board. <laughs> and And... I'm not saying that those that makes a better or worse game, and, and that you know designers should to change anything. And I think it's just not maybe not always my game. Yes, yeah. 
I, I really because you wanna... can't help it to a certain extent. It's not. It's not. It's not like you're just like. Well, now I'm going to make sure to watch everybody because I think you're. It's like it's a it's a passive role that you're taking where yeah. your mind automatically <laughs> goes like. Well, now there's five player boats, so I'm going to start tracking everybody. <laughs> like, it, and, and you know, but there is there is I feel you... for you. It's <laughs> a burden. It's it's like the you. It's the ring you must carry to Mordor. I thank you for that. That's a very kind thing for you to say. Of being such a Lord of the Rings. Uh, idiot <laughs> so i don't know what the word enthusiast, is enthusiast. okay fine yeah um and i could carry a little sting i have a little dagger named sting sure. i mean at all times who doesn't uh, yeah exactly um but then but yeah but i i i do think that is a is a fun thing to flex as a muscle so i'm totally. getting into more games now that that do have kind of flexible states and that are sometimes more we're playing together and sometimes more ourselves and i really appreciate that you've had such a breadth of different games that we've been able to play through so much yeah. of the world of board games out there that i can now confidently say i've played just about everything almost all styles you've of game, played at least. almost all great games i think at yeah. this point and you play pretty much every new game that comes out <laughs> which which i'm super <laughs> grateful for and i really uh i don't know if you know the the trays and the tom donnelly's out there that are have like such an intimate understanding of the gameplay yeah. I'm, I'm from a little different of a corner yeah but i love that i love that i can look into these worlds yeah and, and have something to say maybe a well bit today. And, and 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 i'm i think the people who have made it to episode three you will find that uh the most experienced board gamers of our group uh were trey and tom yes and we are now heading into a bit more of a casual territory uh, now, obviously, I'll, I'll always still be here, and I, I, I think you calling, hold me, it down. calling me casual is impossible. Yeah. But uh, you know, for I, I think we're going to be heading into less inside baseball talk and a little more generalized uh, board game talk, while also still nerding out and getting very deep in in certain moments. We can nerd out on different things. It's all good. Totally. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we are going to get much more into Alfred's role as the rule lawyer when we get to his specific segment. As always, we're going to talk about this week's game night. Then we're going to tell you about the news. We're going to talk about the games that are on the brain in the moment. Uh, we're going to give you a quick update on the 8x8 challenge. Then we're yes. going to get into our game review. This week's game review is the expansion to Great Western Trails, which is called Rails to the North. Mm-hmm. Uh, a very exciting expansion. Go and we north, are going young to, man. Go, go north. north. <laughs> and we are going to head uh north ourselves and delve deep into that in a little bit after that we're going to get into alfred's section his rules lawyer section which i'm very excited about and then we're going to take some emails from you for the board game sommelier and we're going to call it a day so let's jump right into this week's game night uh we played as always we split into two groups Mm -hmm. and uh alfred and i as well as uh tom donnelly and uh was it jesse no trey Trey. right Mm -hmm. we played great western trail with the, the expansion. With the expansion. Fully now, out. this is bringing up an interesting thing. Am I always going to be playing the game we are reviewing? I think in the beginning, it's going to be hard not to because we. I am trying to choose games that are uh, newer. But uh, this is a game, this is an expansion you've played a few times, so you probably... Right. I didn't need to play it again. Yeah. I've played it... I've now probably played it five or six times. Um, this was probably my fifth or sixth. Yeah. So I, I was familiar with it, but I, I was, it's also, it, uh, it checked a box on our eight by eight challenge because it is great Western trails on our eight by challenge. So I was very happy to do that because Trey and I discussed last week that we did not check any boxes the previous week. So this seemed the perfect opportunity to replay the game we're reviewing while at the same time helping us advance ourselves on the eight by eight challenge. And, and one of the reasons why is in our eight, it is on our eight by eight challenge is because the expansion, I think amends some of the difficulties we had yeah. before with the game where it maybe wouldn't have quite made yep. that, that kind of great, it's not so samey anymore. Yeah. yeah. And we'll get into that more when we get to our review. We mm-hmm. also played afterwards a game that I was very excited for you to play be, uh, because uh, I don't think it fits your play style, but it I was very interested. Brain. We played the estates. Yes. The estates is a very mean and brutal game from Capstone Games that came out in the last year or two. And it is a 
It is an auction and bidding game. Yeah. So where, apparently, I want to give guff to people and call mm. them out on their their problems, but I don't want to receive it because I don't seem <laughs> to like these kind of games. Yeah. So you you often find that the games that have a uh, a very mean edge to them um, are not often your favorites. Yeah, I love the camaraderie of our game group. I love being able to gently rib somebody for their play style or yeah. to kind of you know see their moves and kind of understand that it's part of their board presence you know like the reason why people do things but then yep. at the same time when it comes to these games where you really it's like a knife fight in an alley it yeah. feels it you feel cut sometimes so what makes the estate so mean is that you are bidding on pieces and you're building buildings right uh and but the person who builds the top piece is all that matters in terms of who scores it there are three lanes where you're going to be building buildings only two of them might score or none of them or none of them potentially and one of them is definitely going to be minus points so there is a huge fight to so it's basically i do this then you and i bid a lot of money on my thing to in order to get it and then you destroy me in one turn and then someone else destroys you and it's almost every move is erasing what the last person did in a way. It is also one of those games that's deceptively simple. Like, yeah. the rules aren't that complicated. No. You have a limited amount of funds. It seems fairly straightforward. And then as you get into it, you realize that every choice is so painful. Yeah. No, it's a game that you could, that can be taught in 10 minutes, mm-hmm. but is... The minute you start playing, you realize like every decision is so massive and has this crazy butterfly effect. And it was a burning satisfaction. So as much as I might be complaining about these kind of knife fight games, I do think there's something really special about being so deeply involved with your game group and not being stuck on mechanics. It's not a very overly complicated board. There is a few fiddly pieces, but once they're explained, they're fairly straightforward. And then you're just in it and you're basically playing a yeah. version of Avalon with your friends. Uh, we might do a full review on the estates at some point. It seems that we always do these little mini reviews. Last week was uh, Res Arcana, and this week's the estates. But yeah, I, I recommend you take a look. If you like auction bidding games, I think it might be my favorite I've ever played. And it doesn't take up very much space on the board. Like it no, has, it's small. It, how many people can it play up Two to, to five. Yeah, I so don't know what a two-player game would be like. I, I have a hard time thinking that would be very interesting. Maybe there's some kind of mechanism built into it. That- there isn't. It's just exactly what we played with two. I mean, it'd be a very fast That's sort of weird. back and forth, maybe, very strange thing. You know, maybe it ends up being like you know, you know a heads up poker or something. Yeah, you know, where yeah, just that's like right. A kind of a different game. That's right. Totally. Yeah. Um, I think three to five though, you're good. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a really fun game. I think it's good with four or five. And it's a it's what's sort of called a super filler. A filler being a games that you can play in between games or while you're waiting for people to show up. And this is a forty five minute to an hour long game, so we're making it sort of a, a long filler. We took a lot longer with it. I mean, I think you could take a long time in this game. It has yeah. an 18xx quality. I know you're a big fan of those games. I know this yeah. is different in some fundamental Well, not ways. in the sense of its complications, but in terms of uh, that you are bidding on companies and there is... There's a stock uh, market aspect. There's a stock there's market like aspect a, a fa- to a certain extent, yeah. Kind of a way that you can get into a stock or let's say a building in this case and that you can be screwed for that. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, check out the estates. Uh, I would say it's a medium weight game, maybe even maybe edging towards light. It's just you need to make sure that your group is super cool with games that have negative player interaction. Meaning, I do something that I only did that only that I only did to ruin your game. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, if that was a four hour game, nobody would want to play it. But forty five minutes to an hour, or something it could be a really good time. If Just I, as long as you don't take it too serious. If I could physicalize my feelings, I'd be slightly allergic and sneezing. At yeah, that game. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, at Tom's Game Nights, which we will often mention on Fridays, uh, I think we broke Trey with 18xx. Uh, Trey kind of... Th- we both... We, we Like me and Trey both were playing the same game that time. Yeah, we were playing. so Tom taught you 1846, I believe. No, not 1846. No. 1849. Yes. He taught you 1849. 1849. Which is... 
I th- I think was a pretty deep and complicated 18xx. Well, not complicated. A a game with a lot of edge cases and yeah. and specific things. Not not the sort of like we're all pretty new to 18xx, and this one is has a volcano in there and different size rails. You and then yeah. there's like you know thin gauge and I mean, wide I thought, gauge. I thought the thin gauge and the wide gauge was a nice twist on the 18xx formula. Yeah, and I. I was if I was enthused going into the game, not totally understanding mm-hmm. everything as I often am. I'm not always totally in charge, especially in a new game. It takes like, I, maybe people listening out there have a sympathy for this, but you get like halfway through the game before you're like, oh, I now realize how to play the game, and I've lost. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is you know it's kind of normal first time through. But this game was especially punishing based on your starting position, which you don't really know. Especially not so much in terms of on the board, but even in the stocks. Yeah. I was stuck with the stock immediately that mm-hmm. if I didn't buy it, I would basically be out of the game. <laughs> right. And when I bought it, it was so punitive. Right. Like literally, and I don't, we don't have to get into all the rules of it, but basically it mandated a certain amount of money buy-in on the right. stock that immediately made me broke. So this was a game that demands knowledge of the game in order to actually play it in an interest, in, in a way that feels like you're really playing it. Right. Um, and not to speak for Trey, but I think that's what bothered him was that he felt like, well, in order to enjoy this, I would have to invest a lot of time in understanding it. And I don't know if I like the basic bones of this game enough to invest that time. Right. And, and that was, was sort of his, his sort of takeaway, I and, think. And part of my gumption with some of these 18X games, and I, I, I know this is a small thing, but the way they're skinned and the the kind of the pieces of it, like the their, their subtle differences and sometimes huge differences between them, but they're all kind of at the same mechanisms. Yeah. But the board state and some of the way things move around is fiddly. So I'm constantly like readjusting the board Yeah, and, and I, I don't feel OCD in the rest of my life. And yet in board <laughs> games, it shows up, it blooms and blossoms and those games I find tough that way. Yeah. Well, Tom and Demi- uh, sorry, Paul and Dimitri and I played eight and 18 XX game. Also, we all played 1889, which, oh, sorry, 1879, sorry. Uh, 1879, which is a very, very stripped down version of 18 XX. I mean, there's no privates in it, which are sort of usually the fiddly bits of 18 XX, yeah, which are sure. smaller companies. Um, and I think it went well. I think we enjoyed it. Um, but I think we have an interesting situation here because Tom and I are more enthusiastic about this new genre of games than I think anybody else is. This old genre of games. This one, yes, <laughs> new to us. So, you know, what, what does one do when, when one is more excited about a genre of games than the rest of their game group? I, I've learned that you cannot force it upon people. Uh, but there's so many shades of this 18xx true. phenomenon for you guys. I mean, like, and the fact that 1830 seemed to go better. It was a faster game. It mm-hmm. seemed to go, or 1830, correct? Or 18, the one that I played yeah, on Friday? No, 1879. 1879, which is an 1830 derivative. Yeah. Right, and it was faster. And, mm-hmm. and we finished it. Yeah. We finished the whole game in three hours which is crazy for 18xx yeah so I, th- I think paul and dimitri are into it i think you'd give it another whirl i don't think you're dying to try it but i think it's about just playing 1846 and 1879 for a while because yeah. they're simpler they're cleaner and just let's just let's get at least good at those two and then decide if we want to get into the, the edgier case ones. i mean i haven't even played any of the 1830 variants right. so i'm really which is a very different game so there's, yeah. the, it's, there's either like stock market manip- manipulation type 18xx which are all sort of 1830 derivatives or there are operations based 18xx which is more about laying track and stuff which are 1846 versions but they all have shades of each other right sure to yeah. a certain extent yeah if you understand one you can pretty much be taught any of them in 20 minutes i mean that's that's cool and i'm looking forward to that but i also as we develop personalities in the game, because yeah. that's effectively what's happening. It's yeah. What's happening is that each, that like trade There's being a lot, of, it, a lot down. of gamer interaction on these, a lot of player interaction. Exactly. And so I think that also sometimes edges into the way we enjoy these games, to be honest. Sure. Is it becomes partially about how you play the game and who you are in that particular game place. Yeah. And, and who's the bully and who's 
the easy pushover and like it i'm so happy that we have a game group where we have these interactions that this kind of is a persistent game that goes on in the game yeah i agree and that is that is part of what i'm excited about 18 xx for so let's move on to the news for this week the news still waiting on on a drop still waiting on a drop i mean i have a special opinions about this and i really am happy that people can contribute songs but please well we'll see haven't gotten any yet i'm holding them hostage i'm gonna have to do holding you hostage yes so we the uh the Golden Geek Award winners for 2018 were announced just yesterday. So this Incredible. is hot off the presses. Uh, the Spiel des Jahres, or the Kinderspiel des Jahres, is the Oscars of the board game world. Mm. I would say the Golden Geek Awards is the Golden Globes of the award season Literally, of board games. figuratively. Does it oftentimes hint at what's going to be won at the Spiel? Well, the Spiel des Jahres happens before, I believe. So they sort of swap positions in that sense. Hmm. Uh, so this but, is like the MTV Music Awards. Well, and, and sort of the People's Choice Awards, because these are right. voted on by not a judge and jury system, but just the people on BGG. There just, you go. Just everyday folk like you and me. Yep. Uh, board Game of the Year goes to Root. Cole Whirly's uh, asymmetrical war game with creatures, the, the, with the woodland creatures. Remember the cats versus the mice? Totally. That was beautiful. The birds. I loved that. That one game of the year. You did enjoy that game. I did. Well, we need to play it a bit more. Yeah. Um, we, I think we played it three, four times and uh, we went, that's interesting. I don't know if it's worth the amount of time that I feel it would require to uh, enjoy it more. People seem to love it. But I would like to do that. Yeah. Uh, the winner of the two-player games of the year is Keyforge, Call the Archons, with Archons. Archons. I'm going to take a run at it. Archons, I think. Uh, which I enjoyed a lot. I've played quite a bit of, actually. That is uh, Richard Garfield's uh, very interesting buy a deck, play that deck, no uh, deck building allowed kind of game. Hmm. Very fun game. I think we'll actually be doing a full review on that later. Uh, best artwork goes to Root. You seem to agree with that. Oh, you that like the way it looks. It's a gorgeous game. It looks like a 1970s sort of uh, children's mm-hmm. adventure book movie. Animals. Animals, woodland creatures. Mm-hmm. And what's fun is that it's it's sort of based on the coin system, which is GMT's very hardcore uh, sort of four-player asymmetrical Twilight Struggle variant for the sort of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is, you know, coin for dummies, not to not, well, but not it, to put dummies in a mean sense, but coin for beginners. And super inviting with that artwork. I mean, I just yeah. wanted to play that game looking yeah. at it. And, and so it's like taking a very heavy thing and putting it with a really fun, cool theme seems to be working. Mm-hmm. Uh, card game of the year is The Mind. We've enjoyed The Mind, a great... That's the game where you're trying to put numbers in the right order. Oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, sure. You're trying to read each other's minds for the most part. That's a game that you could pull out with literally any human being on this planet who's regardless if they've ever played a game. Or doesn't even know math. Doesn't even know math. Just have to know numbers. Uh, Best cooperative game, also The Mind. Sure, I'll say that. The best expansion of the year goes to Scythe. The Rise of Fenris didn't play it uh, as it is sort of a legacy version of Scythe. If you really liked Scythe and you have a group that's into legacy sort of campaigns, that might be the one for you. Uh, Family game is The Quacks of Quedlinburg, a game I've been wanting to try, sort of Mm. a push-your-luck bag-building game. Mm. Innovative, the winner is Root. Party game winner is the mind. This is, I mean, is it is it just because that on BD, BGG? This is just like these are the these rock are the hot games right of now. the year. Yeah. These are these really are the hot games of the year. We just have some other opinions though. We had some other games that were really factored into our lives. Your guys, yes. yeah, we had yes. Well, we our hmm. tastes run a little heavier than than your average. Uh, print and play is a game called Orchard. Uh, I've never heard of that before. Uh, winner of the solo game is interesting. It's uh, Gashon Clever, or That's Pretty Clever, which is a dice rolling game that I think won because it's people can actually download it as an app on their phone, and it's a very fun game to play by yourself, sort there of a go. roll and write dice game. Mm-hmm. Best strategy game, Brass Birmingham. Hard to disagree. Yeah. no, Hard uh, to disagree. Amazing. If pushed to say my favorite game of last year, 
it might be that up there with Coimbra, up there with Teo Tawakan. Yeah, I mean, Teo Tawakan got, got runner-up, and yep, so there's Teo people that are also feeling it. Uh, thematic game, Root as well, sure. God, sure. War game, Hannibal and Hamilcar. I, have, I got it from Kickstarter. I have not played it yet. That is a hardcore two-player long game. Oh. Long some, game. Some, like someday. In, in the realm ever, of War of the Ring long. Yeah, if you ever want to... Best podcast goes to Ludology. Hey, shout out to Ludology. Can't disagree. I do love that podcast. I can't wait for next year's best podcast. Hey, man, we'll see. Board game app of the year, Ganshan Clever, which I just said. That's pretty clever. That is the game that uh, won for best solo game. And it's hard to think that's not why, because it has a great app. Mm -hmm. So that is this year's Golden Geek Awards. Uh, Always interesting to see. That definitely gives you a good idea of what the, at least the most popular games of the year were with actual hobbyists on board game would you say anything got it really wrong no that's hard that's hard i think root is the game of the year not that doesn't mean it's the best game but it is the game of the year it's the Mm. the the most important game captured the zeitgeist it captured the zeitgeist it is that that is the correct choice um a couple other things to talk about this week uh lorenzo il magnifico one One of of our our favorites favorites has a kickstarter right now for a digital app and computer version of it that could be exciting. Look up Lorenzo Il Magnifico Kickstarter right now, and you will see a digital version. It's still funding. The only reason, I mean, I'm down for that. I will. I would love to play uh, Lorenzo as long as they get the AI right, or if yeah. there's ways for us to all play together online, if it's on our phones or tablets, super down for that. Even if it's on Steam, I'm down for that also. But it also comes with a brand new deck of character cards and some uh, some new cards to throw into your game. Into the actual board. Physical, yeah. yeah so that's how they got me. That's yeah. how they got me. They, they, they teased in. me with the, the, the digital, which I go, that's cool. And then they go, and all new cards, a whole new deck of cards. And I go, well, now I have to do it because that's like my favorite game ever. It's an incredible game. And you love played, Lorenzo. I, you and I, I think, are the, the two biggest lovers of Lorenzo I mean, in our group. You know, I know I mentioned the Galarus as being my, like, Ur game in that first episode, and I, I really do love it. The Galarus is very... But Lorenzo is basically the same kind of game. You make a, mm-hmm. a small group of moves with huge effect, and you're building very quickly into a... a a point of view and it, yeah. like you you really it's like you know i love everything about making characters for D. like this is maybe going back to way back in my history but i loved making characters love mm-hmm. like having a new world to step into and this game has that kind of feeling it has like that tech tree kind of yeah. vibe where you're just immediately launched into a space exactly we talked about that a lot last week when we talked about the italian super group of designers uh flaminio brazzini and virginio gigli and simone luciani you're making some of that up. i did not those are all real and those are the designers of lorenzo yeah. Um, but yeah, check out the Kickstarter. Maybe you don't have friends to play Lorenzo with, or it mm. might be a little too heavy for your group, or maybe too light. Okay, who knows? Uh, but now you could play it against an AI. So maybe check out the digital, or if you're a super fan like me, I know you're going to want that new deck of cards. Did they tease any of the cards? Is there any like weird game breaking? I didn't. I actually didn't get too deep into looking at them. They mm. showed a few. I know there's some character cards in there and stuff. Yeah. Um, I'll awesome. just. It doesn't awesome. matter what they are. I'm going to. Right, I'm right. going to have them. They shall wait. be mine. I can't wait to play. Next is uh, Blood on the Clock Tower, which is a new eight to 13 player uh, hidden trader werewolf type game sort of resistance but a little more LARPy yeah Um, shut up and sit down which is sort of the one of the more popular uh, board game reviewers in the world and and, uh, a great uh, uh, YouTube channel to subscribe to Um, they called it their favorite game ever an 8 to 13 player LARP that costs $80 on Kickstarter do you get costumes? You do not. You get Does coins. It have theme music? You Does get it have... you get like felt backed coins with your roll on them. Oh. Look, they they are pointing to the rafters on this one. Right. I've never seen 
such a strong point to the Raptors <laughs> to say that an 18 to 13 player game that costs a hundred dollars, uh, is the, is your favorite game Period. of all time Period. is definitely putting your reputation on the line to a certain extent. And you know what? If that's their, it's sweet, worth checking out now. Now I mean, it's underrepresented, right? There isn't that many games that played like that. I will. I did not back it. Um, I don't think I would have at that price point. I think that's a lot to me for a game that probably won't get much play in our group, but Trey, who does, who was our host last week, who mm-hmm. designs LARPs for a living, yeah. had to back it right. because he's very interested in how the game works and wants to experience it because it is, in essence, a uh, structured LARP. Do you think? Um, do you think? Our so he has are- it. So we we will we we we, wow. we we have our group has backed it in a sense. So yeah. I'm, and you know what? If Trey hadn't, as just a lover of the hobby, I think they even say in their review that if you love this hobby you have to back this i mean they really they, they put a lot of pressure on this kickstarter and, and, and it is and it's a fully successful kickstarter their their yeah. reputation has i think got a lot of people to back it and i mean you know unless until we get the game and if it doesn't live up to the hype it's hard to to say they're wrong because they're they've been they've had they've had a very good track record with their honesty on on the board game community and i mean i, I without having any prior knowledge about what the game actually constitutes does does this exit our game group in some ways like i'm saying like look at the spectrum of people who play in our game group are do we have people who are willing to commit to a larp at, at essence like right you know well, we have the numbers which right. is the hardest that's that's the barrier to entry on an eight to 13 player game i think most people look at that and go when the hell am i ever gonna have eight people in my house down to play a two hour they're still working sort of complicated game, game. Yeah. yeah i mean that's there's not that many people so this is this is a group that our game can our, our group can handle this game right um, so I'm excited to try it. Okay. Uh, I think it's worth looking into. It's definitely made a huge splash in the mm-hmm. hobby with with uh, Shut Up and Sit Down really, really doubling down and pointing to the rafters on this one. So check it out. Blood on the Clock Tower. Uh, it's on Kickstarter right now and will be uh, for a couple weeks. Let's review the reviewer. <laughs> Let's review the reviewer. We'll see. Uh, I talked about last week, Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle Earth. Sounds awesome. I got a shipping notice today. Hey. I believe it's coming very soon. Wow. I mean, I... I have to say the brief amount of app games we've played yeah. actually has been really revolutionary because was it the cave? What was that game where somebody plays the cave? Oh, vast, vast. And that was fun. There's no app for that. No app. But yeah. I'm saying that was like, that was a different version of the same kind of thing of kind of asymmetrical, Ooh. like kind of one player playing against a sure. group. And that, that, that's now the app to takes it. that part. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I really would. We I, liked it. You liked Mansions of Madness. I did. I did. Yeah. It, it was a little, it was still. Hey. As a rules lawyer, yeah. I bet you enjoy when an app handles the rules for you. That yes. must be a relaxing experience. Well, it also it, so it it also added an, a layer of intrigue and reveal that a lot of these games don't have. I mean, I don't always like the legacy games because they are the most fidgety and they like are. kind of they they seem to get some of the rule stuff really hard. And to, they demand that you stick with it for a period of time. And often we have a little more uh, ADD in our, yeah. our gaming uh, in, interests. I'm not interested in chance necessarily in the same way. I mean, I was really fascinated by Trey's talk. It was mm-hmm. fantastic that way. But this kind of thing of the random output. With the app, it kind of feels like it's all very much like it's all in service of the story. And that really does hit a sweet spot when yeah. we're kind of group telling the story, but the, the rules are being followed. We're able to achieve so much because mm-hmm. you picked up this thing and this outcome or because this is the monster that shows up at this time. The ratcheting of the tension is at the right time. 
some of these games yeah. get it wrong. Some of these games get the third act in really weird spades totally. in places. So that was really cool. So hopefully we'll have that next couple of weeks. I'm excited to get at the table. Um, also, I want to talk about the uh, a great crowdfunder right now that's happening on uh, crowdfunder.co.uk. And I am going to be linking it in all of our show notes. If this episode is up right now, you will find the notes on my Twitter. And uh, if you can go to gamebrain.pod, gamebrainpod.com, you can find all of our uh, socials there, which will take you to this. This is the third Uganda Village Board Game Convention. Uh, there is a board game convention that for three years now they have been running in a very small village in Uganda, and they are raising money to get make it go bigger and bigger. I want to read a little bit of thing from their crowdfunder. Mm. I have uh, donated money to this, and I really recommend you guys do too. And I think after reading this, you are going to uh, have a hard time not throwing a couple dollars at this because I think it sounds like a beautiful thing they're doing. So back in 2017, one of our young trainees said, let's do something this holiday in the village. Perhaps we can take some board games. The germ, of an, the germ of an idea spread amongst the other youth, and the concept for the Uganda Village Board Game Convention was born. And through this, now 10 village board game clubs exist, with more planned this year. The lives of children in villages can be repetitive, and their life experience is minimal compared to their peers growing up in towns. Their knowledge of the rest of the world does not increase as they get older, and so some remain destined to remain in their villages for their whole lives, unable to develop a vision for the future. Mm. However, small interventions can make a real difference in developing the vision and experience of some of these children. Games provide a platform for discussion about new themes and historical events or world issues, and these change the way that children think about their lives. Additionally, some children find the village life dispiriting mm-hmm. with little mental challenge or stimulation, and, those res- and these respond to board games with incredible enthusiasm, diligence, and responsibility. Awesome. So, you know, as, as somebody who, one of my very favorite things in the world to do is to introduce board games to people who may not know how amazing our new hobby is, uh, I can think of no better... Uh, place for your uh, donation dollars that you may have allotted to the month or the year uh, than the third Uganda Village Board Game Convention. So check it out. You could Google it right now or check it out uh, you know, through our socials. But um, they have still not made their target for the year. Okay. And I would really love to do all that we can as a listening group of board gamers and people who are uh, so privileged to have board games accessible to us in all ways. Yeah. Uh, and most of your pledges are going to buying games that will be sent to the villages in order to make this convention full of all the new, exciting, awesome games we love. I mean, we've long ago supposedly stomped out boredom out of our lives. Like we have barely a moment where our yeah. minds can relax or rest. And to hear about people who not only are facing the challenges that life presents, but also having to face this kind of existential boredom. Yeah. It's like if. You and know, I think games, games are a wonderful spirit lifter for 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 community they are certainly for us yeah Yeah. and for just brain stimulation and exposing yourself to new themes and worlds uh and making new friends that you wouldn't have made by uh the wonderful lubricant of games uh sure that's a word that's a choice you could so yeah uh please go check that out and uh donate if you are financially able to um very last thing, your favorite, Vistal Lacerda, uh, his new game on Mars, they've announced it will be on Kickstarter April 18th. So by the time this episode goes up, that'll be in the next week or two. That would have it already kickstarted. He's so popular that it's already just Oh, no, out. it's guaranteed to be done. Yeah, yeah. but um, just set your calendars. April 18th, you might want to make sure to back that. It's going to be exciting. Uh, moving on to Games on the Brain. Ba-da-da-ba-da, games on the Brain. Once again, somebody out there, please. I will do this every week. Uh, I, I want to show you. Now, we know that part of uh, my obsession in board games is about, uh, I hate the word pimping my games, but um, making my games uh, a little more personal and uh, fancy is an important part of my hobby. 
I have made an 18xx case. Whoa. And that really, if I, if I can describe this for the listeners out Go there. Go ahead, please. Describe this. This is what would be basically a, uh, an even fancier Pelican case, like mm. an almost a military grade, mm-hmm. uh, like some kind of hardened plastic or yeah. like ballistic safe. Yeah, bulletproof. Yes. And so this is a case far fancier than most board games, period. Wow. So inside of it, I have all of my chips uh, picked out in pluck foam. There's also a calculator. Useful. You're very useful. There's the also my handy vac uh, for picking up uh, hexagons, hex tiles on the board. If the wrong person were to find this, <laughs> they would be extremely confused at the, both the security it, measures It used. looks like, like, like there's some sort of Mission Impossible nuclear device inside well, of this. It looks like you're about to play a very high-stakes game of poker. Yeah. Slash... Uh, if if I am to believe anything from legacy games, underneath that foam plastic is a whole other game. Oh well, so there is actually something oh, hidden underneath the. Foam Are you kidding plastic me right now? now? You've really thought of everything. So behind here is a custom stock market tracker, oh, <laughs> <laughs> which I had ordered from uh, Rails on Board, which is a uh, blog just for 18xx hobbyists. Uh, support Rails on Board, and uh, I love your dedication to uh, to the to the, the hobby. And but beyond that, to your passion, yes, and that I hope your family gets as much of this as you give to that. <laughs> beyond that, I do have some new chips coming this week. I've ordered some new chips. We'll, oh. we'll we'll have an episode where we maybe talk about the best poker chips for your games, but that's not today's episode. Uh, I'm I, so impressed. I I am impressed, but also now, yeah. just I'm sure a lot of people were wondering how is Matt going to play Age of Steam when he doesn't own a copy and it's on the eight by eight challenge. We discussed it last week. I'm sure people were worried. I procured a copy of Age of Steam on Where'd eBay, you... a first edition copy. I paid $20 for it. What? I don't know why. Didn't I would they have see... paid more. But didn't they see other people around You can get board them? game deals, I think, on eBay right now. I got, and it, it has the, the expansion one and three involved in there. And this person took beautiful care of it. Look at all these oh. custom boxes and stuff. The custom boxes really I feel very, rich, very lucky. I yeah. uh, feel like uh, I won the Age of Steam lottery. You only um, get to do this so many times. You only get that your turn only comes around. That so was my, I, I really had a, a good eBay experience there and I, I would be thankful for the person. I, I don't, I, part of me thinks like maybe a, a gamer passed and someone in their family was uh, unloading things. Well, let's just celebrate the life of the game as yes. well as the gamers that it, have touched it, this hey, before. This, this copy of Age of Steam could have not found a more welcoming yes. and loving home and a group of gamers who are going to appreciate it. Do you know the theory about Stradivarius violins no. and other instruments? Um, so Stradivarius was a great maker, and the idea is generally is that the wood is kind of imbued with a certain sonic resonance, and that's why it sounds so sweet. Right. But it has to be played by good musicians to keep that sound in the wood. Right. So we're doing it. There it is. We're this doing is it. our Stradivarius. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. That's my games on the brain. Any games on your brain this week that you've been mulling over or obsessing about? So the 18xx games, I know you've talked oodles about it, but Mm. they've been really on my brain a lot because it is a weakness of mine. Like I don't feel like the maths involved in the gameplay suit where my OCD lives. Where So it's like I really, I feel that challenge that Trey was talking about. I want to learn these games in a way that is both... Because I know your your passion is very infectious, mm. and um, the kind of the way that the share works, and there's so much brain space in that in there. Yeah. So I've been thinking a lot about them. I've been thinking about ways that I want to engage in that, and the things that maybe don't quite suit my gameplay, and how I might be able to evolve as a gamer. Yeah. Because a lot of being here with you in the game group have been me evolving away from my dice playing past into mm-hmm. games that are more deterministic, and I've have had a lot more fun at. Like right. there was usually a moment in in a lot of these kind of previous 
board game experience where there would be a moment where the game would kind of fall apart for me and totally arbitrary for any of the decisions I made. So totally. I like determinism. Good. It's just been that kind of thing of, do I like games that are so deterministic that I could lose in the first round and be okay with that, just seeing it unfold? Right. And I guess the, the, the answer to that is how, uh, how excited you are to play it again then, because yeah. those games obviously are going to need multiple plays in order for you to feel like those first choices are not arbitrary and are in fact have, have a ongoing, uh, uh, value to them. And, and I will say that there's plenty of games where I'm not going to win, but I am happy to be in the king making position. Yeah. It's not the th- most thrilling, you know, victory isn't everything by any means and a good game is satisfying on, on a deep level, but sometimes king making can be really interesting. Yeah. What moves I'm going to make, who I'm going to take away from, who I'm going to give to, especially in these, uh, the other kind of games too that have been on my mind a lot and you have to re- help me remind, remind mm-hmm. me the name of the game, but one of this, this trading game that we've been playing at Tom's night occasionally Sidereal Confluence. Sidereal Confluence. Thank you. That game is hard for me. Yeah. I feel like some of the races have such a different game than others, some of these alien races, that like I don't know. It it, it takes a deeper learning than maybe I'm willing to do. And I I think the 18XX games are more suitable to to me being curious and kind of investing. But Sidereal Confluence also just had this moment where I was just being a little quiet because Mm -hmm. it's kind of more my game state. Uh, partially because I'm keeping track of other people, and that was driving me crazy in that game because people are throwing around pieces, grabbing from mutual piles. Yeah, no, it is a. It's almost like what's it, a real. There's a real time element to the bidding and trading yeah. in that. Yeah, it's an interesting game if you like long, complicated auction games. And the uh, auction and the auction being way more important than it feels at first. Yeah, and yeah. if you don't understand the game, then you are you have no idea the value of things to be bidding on. Yeah. Um, as a novice it kind of kept me thinking about it long after the game was done well i'm glad and i'm the the last thing one of my one of my rules for myself as a gamer is to never ever play a game with somebody who's not enthusiastic about playing that game i have no interest in it it kills it for me but dimitri i mean well he's (laughs) he's a he's a special case he is but he is choosing to play games he doesn't necessarily enjoy as a trade-off to being with his friends, which is, and he is a very interesting case that we're going to get into. He is the non-gamer of our group who ironically has played more games than I would say 90% of hardcore gamers because of the friends he has made. And he's absolutely adorable while he's doing it. He is adorable. Now, so, you know, to me, it's, you should never try to make gamers of your friends. You should Mm -hmm. instead go make friends who are gamers. Uh, And I have done that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have a group of friends and then I have my gamer friends and there the two shall meet, you know, and, and it, because it is my passion, my gamer friends have in many ways become more important or at least people I see more often than my other friends. Um, so, you know, but I, I met all of you be, not because it's, I didn't meet you and then go, let's play games. I was looking for people who wanted to play the games I want to play. And you all were the ones on my radar. And I will say, so I have a slightly more public life at times where I have an artistic identity and a career that takes me all over the place, all over the yeah. world. But oftentimes I can't wear my gaming so much on my sleeve. It doesn't sure. suit the kind of nightlife that I'm often more referenced in, right? Like I'm making electronic music and I'm at raves and you know, when I'm geeking out about a game, it isn't like I can share it so publicly without some feeling of being seen or heard differently, which is ridiculous because there's so many more gamers everywhere among yeah. all all people. There is going to be this other kind of avenue and resource that's yeah. there. But that being said, that is an interesting thing. I too also have a a, a career in yeah. which gaming is not a part of it, not something that I ever bring up to people that I work with. Or you know, I would love to break down the stigma more and be able to to wear more proudly this passion I have as well. Yeah, because I do think it 
as you spread it to other people and you see that their own sense of fun get shaken up from the traditional, this is how fun rolls out in, you know, be it yeah. straight up in a well, that's, in alcoholic beverage or a loud music event. <laughs> sure. And there's all kinds of other ways to, to both react to and enjoy life. And I think that's part of, uh, why I want to do this podcast and why it's called Game Brain is because yeah. I, you know, I'm, I, I can no longer deny that this is a separate part of my identity. That I think it is a the fact that I, you know, find most of my spare time that is not wrapped up in family to be wanting to be spending playing these games. I think at this point in my life, it's no longer a fad, and it's something that yeah. you know I I just have to admit about myself and the way that my brain works and the way that you know I want to. Uh, live my life and the way I want to spend my time on this planet. Mm -hmm. And a part of that is playing games with people that I care about. And, and I would just add that layer. I would love to, to see more people spread the hobby uh, or the passion, whatever you want to term this as to younger people who don't necessarily know how they want to be in the world and give this Mm -hmm. as an option. Sure. Because I feel very lucky that as a very young person, somebody had the wherewithal to kind of, you know, take an introvert like myself and kind of show me this other world that I could fall into and get lost in and have always kept with me no matter where my life has taken me. So that is, but that maybe wouldn't have happened. And then I would have been left without this whole, this whole uh, secret part of my life. Yeah. I don't want it to be secret necessarily, but it, it happens to be often. Yeah. I think some people that might even be listening now might be surprised by the fact that both I game so much as I do and yeah. And that I, it's so much a strong part of my life. Like, you know, usually two to three nights out of the week, I'm cloistered up with a group of friends doing, you know, casting spells on a piece of cardboard. And the other nights you are up in, uh, musical venues and clubs, uh, being very creative and, and doing your art. Sometimes not being so creative and sometimes <laughs> it's not so artistic, but that's okay too. I would love it. I would love it if all those things happened all the time. Thanks. Totally. Uh, so a uh, quick update on the 8x8 challenge. Uh, I did fulfill my promise to Trey last week that we would check off a box mm-hmm. on the uh, 8x8 challenge that we're doing. And lo and behold, it is the game that we are reviewing this week. Uh, mm-hmm. Great Western Trail just happens to have made our 8x8 challenge, I think by one vote when we took our votes at the beginning. Uh, but luckily it was on there. So we got to check that off this week yeah, and, great. um, we will keep, we will keep plugging away at that eight by eight. We have 62 games left to play on our challenge <laughs> out of 64. And I think, uh, I think we're going to do it. It's going to take a while, but I like doing a quick update every week. Tell you where we're at. I, I will tell you as, as a gamer who doesn't, we, you bring a lot of new to the table constantly and to be able to revisit games. I can't wait. I can't oh, wait right. to, to try different strategies rather than like, okay, this is, yeah. this sounds from the rules. This is going to be the way to go. And then you kind of jump into it because of board position to really be able to explore different roles or ideas and things like this expansion really open up other tactics. And yeah. we can talk about that in a second, but like, it's great. I'm loving this so far. If you want to follow our progress on our eight by eight challenge, there is a grid up on gamebrainpod.com. I believe in the, about us section uh you will see there and we update it every week on but, uh, how we're doing on and it. make yours and share it with us on our on our group now yeah please do yeah uh we're, we're, we're going to talk about our doing. facebook group at the end but we do have a, a facebook group now uh and we would love it to be an active hub of the of the podcast so go ahead and search for that on facebook it's an open group uh as as with all facebook groups you have to apply to be a member but there everyone will be accepted yeah. uh there just has to be a little step to it and tell just us to make sure that we don't get people advertising and, and stuff in there yeah and tell us which ones are games that we should drop off the eight by eight and never play again yeah <laughs> And give us your strong, but yeah, opinions. I would love to see other people's eight by eights or four by fours or two by twos, whatever you want to do, whatever, whatever size your group is or the amount of games you feel comfortable adding to that. Yeah. Uh, let's move into our game of the week. Game of the week review, but do this one's a little longer just to make sure you send me a song, please. 
Uh, our review is not of a game. It is our first expansion review on the podcast. It is the incredible, classic, modern classic. I am not uh, being hyperbolic in saying that. I think Great Western Trail is probably the best Euro design of the last, I'm going to say, five to ten years maybe. Uh, I think it's, to me, one of the most impressive. It is from Alexander Pfister. It's a mainstay of our group. It came, it came out. It's, it's, it's never, it came out in 2016. Yeah. We've been playing it consistently for three years, which says a lot. That does not happen often with our group. Uh, Alexander Pfister also made one of my favorite games, Mombasa. Um, Broom Service is fun. I enjoy his latest, Blackout Hong Kong. I feel like I'm the only one who does it. Yeah. Um, I Isle of Sky is a very popular game that I, I've played as in the app, but never in the full version. But Alexander Pfister is somebody who, I, anything it comes out with, I'm pretty much going to buy it and at least give it a shot. Um, Great Western Trail, if you're not uh, familiar with it, is... Uh, a very interesting Euro. It doesn't, when I first played it, it definitely felt to me like I have never played this game before. Um, all of its mechanics are mildly familiar. There mm-hmm. is, uh, there is a worker placement is not what I would call it. Um, let's see what BGG actually says. So they, it's they like call it board deformation. They right? call it a deck building hand management point to point movement game. Point to point movement. Point to point movement is, is the mechanism <laughs> that they're using. Cool. Um, cause it is not worker placement. You, you start your worker, you have a certain amount of moves he can make and he or she moves along the track and the track gets longer to a certain extent as more spaces are filled in. So those spaces are buildings. You're, when, you're creating the board together right. as a group. Right. Um, so there is a, so, so let me tell you the story of, of Great Western Trail. So Great Western Trail is we are all, uh, cattle herders who are carrying our stock of cattle, uh, from Texas to Kansas city. And we start in Texas and we while our way all the way to Kansas City, wherein we turn in our herd of cattle and are paid for them. And then we do it again. And as we uh, go along the path, uh, new buildings pop up along the path, which makes our, our route slower because we have to stop at all these places. And along the, the route, you can pick up new cows, buy more cows, diversify your cows, uh, do lots of different things. You can help build the buildings on the road. Well, you can get, you can get into being a more of a builder than a cowpoke. You can That's get right. into be more of a conductor than a builder. Right, right. That's right. So uh, there are certain. You're, you're also helping to build the train line, and uh, your cow is only de- are delivered as far as the train line goes. So thematically, you know, uh, people are only going to buy your cow if they can ship it from the place you're selling it to. So the farther the train line goes, the more money you can make on your cows because now your cows can be sold to Kansas City, but then the meat can be sent all the way to New York City. And once once you can help get it all the way to New York City, you'll make a lot more money than just selling it to Kansas City. So the amount we're talking about cows should be a hint why the expansion <laughs> is useful. <laughs> exactly. So in the original game, if you you get points for cows. So let's, let's say this. Cows are cards. They're are actual cards. cards in your hand. You, everybody starts with, I believe, a 14-hand deck. And cows become money. And cows are turned into money. So in that in that deck of cards, uh, each we each start with our own personalized deck that's exactly the same. Uh, and then we will, as we buy cows, change our deck. And it's classic deck building kind of rules wherein you're going through your hand mm-hmm. and then you, you draw all up to your hand size and you discard your hand and you get new cards. Um, and your cards is going to be uh, your cards are going to be cows that range from a value of one to five, and different colors are what matters. So when you get to Kansas City, you only get paid out for every different type of cow. So if you have two green cows, you're only going to get paid for one of them. So your goal by the time you get to Kansas City is to have a large, diverse herd of cows. Yes. 
Um, and uh, that, that that used to be yeah pretty much a, you that wasn't the only way to win. But if you didn't collect cows, I you had a very hard time winning. I think you would have to be because there is a, a certain amount where you're going to be spreading no matter what because there's a, a board state that kind of dictates what you're going to be able to do. Just like all these euros, there's a little bit of determinism in that, uh, even though it's kind of random the way it comes out. So you had to have a cow strategy, but you could kind of get into something else. Right. So there were three main strategies before, which is builder strategy, which is uh, uh, excuse me, specializing in guys that you add to your tableau mm-hmm. that make it so you can build higher cost buildings. And, the, and buildings are worth victory points at the end of the game, but they also are specialized places that only your worker can stop on and do very powerful things and some small penalties to other players yes well they yeah and sometimes when you move through them you have to pay people to go past it uh and there are often circuitous routes you could take to get there but people start building buildings such a way where you're always going to have to go through somebody you pay to go past their building but it did feel weaker before it didn't feel like if you were all cow all in and nobody else challenged you on that you were taking it you won yeah and so, and, but if you, and also if you didn't buy any cows, I don't know if you, there was enough yeah. points in any other strategy to really win if everybody was playing cows, if I, nobody's I, playing cows, sure. But I, if, if, if at least one person is going full cows, I don't think you can ignore cows at all. I think you have to at least dip your toe into cows, Yes, <laughs> yes. which is a sentence I have never said before. Uh, we'll say one more time <laughs> because that, that is this game. So the new expansion, um, the main thing that we are excited about is that I th- you can ignore cows and you can win. I mean, I think you are still challenged in that regard. And just in the sense that that it's still a certain amount of the way you accrue money. But yeah. there are other ways now. There are definitely the the scales have been tipped. Yeah. And that now you can be expansionist in a way that just the previous game and it's interesting too because they didn't change too much of the actual personal player board. There's just a small expansion going on at the bottom of the right, board. Right. So let's talk about what comes in the box. So yeah. you actually get a uh, a new addition to the game board, to the actual board. It goes atop it, and it actually has a very interesting little hinge where it sits atop it, and then no, they they knew it they slides knew. nicely yeah. in there so that it can't be moved around too much. Because usually, if you try to put a board on top of another board, they they slide around a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this sort of locks in place nicely. And it replaces the train tracks at the top of the board from the first version or from the the base game. And it now adds all these different branching trees from there. Uh, And you have a new addition as well to your your player board, uh, which is uh, station uh, station tokens and all these little houses. Think uh, little Monopoly pieces, but wood. And you now are building a route uh, throughout the north. There's, you know, rails to the north, north of Kansas City. So all these different towns up there. And you are building station towns and uh, little places up there wherein, I guess, thematically, you are receiving bonuses to your cattle lines and, you know, sending people out there to help. Uh, I don't know. I kinda, <laughs> I'm kinda, struggling I kinda, to think I mean, thematically what it means. Thematically, but. I kind of got the sense that you were building new way stations that the train was going. So you were right. building literally stations that you were expanding your market. Well, here's here's what the box, or here's what BGG okay. says. I believe this is on the box. With this expansion, players deliver their he- their herds to Northeast United States with stops in Chicago, Detroit, and New York City, amongst other cities, in an effort to become the most successful cow rancher this side of the Mississippi. So you're the robber barons of cattle. Yes, exactly. Uh, but what it does is... Now, here's an interesting thing. So it, ha- it has definitely made it so that you do not have to go cows. Totally. Even if every other player is going full cows, you can still win with cows. But what it has done, though, is that now you cannot ignore the, the station north. tokens to the north. Yeah. 
I do not believe now that you can win the game without going to the station tokens. But I'm not saying that's 100% sure. We've played, I'd say I've played probably five or six times. Um, I think our group, that's about as much as we've played. That's mm-hmm. a lot for a two to three hour game. And that's, that's a good amount for us. I think I'm fully apt to review a game after six or so plays, especially when I played the base game a hundred times probably. Right. Um, it seems to me though, and, and, and I, but actually I don't believe this is a detriment because the cow strategy, there's a really, there's one way to do it, right? You're trying to get a lot of money and you're trying to thin your hand. So your best cows come out and you're trying to rush. You're trying to just like rush that loop to Kansas city and rush your cows and, and, I, and, and get I them say, before other people. And I will say that some of the, some of that cow strategy is very dependent on, again, on the board state where if you don't get the cattle, the cattle hands, the right. cowboys, they yes. don't come out at the right time and they get swooped up by somebody else who maybe isn't even trying to do the cow strategy, but they just happen to be buying right. the cheapest new worker that comes out which could be a cowboy suddenly you can't play your game right because you literally are locked out of certain cowboys. so there was a fun jockeying for position game and, and it became a race to a certain extent yeah. who's going to get those fives and fours first who's going to really chalk up all those cow points um and to, to do that strategy wasn't necessarily all that fun when you've done it many times i think now you do have to do the rails to the north stuff. You can't ignore it. You have to place your station tokens up there. But there are so many different ways you can do it and so many different things they will benefit. Yeah. So I think it, it, I don't think it's, I don't think it feels samey to do it every time. Now I think you have to do it. You don't have to go all in, but I don't think you can ignore it unless everybody else ignores it, which is crazy. And nobody's going to do that. So if you fully ignore it, I don't think you can be competitive. But I don't think that by not ignoring it, you can't follow almost any strategy you can think of, which I think is a, a great sign of, of, of solid design and a good balancing. And I do think it, it does something really nice where before there was, a, it was hard to ignore the race element that you would have to run as fast as you can because mm-hmm. somebody could easily take the momentum and just go. Yeah. This slows the game down slightly. There is There's certain actions you only can do when you're hitting certain spaces and to necessitate going through the north you have to be doing these extra actions that your your new board unlocked but if you're familiar with the game they're basically the bonus action yeah so if you weren't hitting them at the right time you weren't getting your you're not getting your pieces up there so you have to kind of slow down slightly and so it makes it it makes it go from like a fast medium weight euro to being like a mid a mid fast because i mean it still plays quickly and yeah, you can get through, the rolls aren't o- overly onerous turns are fast but like it is that kind of thing where you there's a little bit of of uh, bonus action there's a little bit of like comboing that's happening with mm-hmm. the upper board and that's very satisfying you can kind of start to build into these super turns uh the, the game already had built in there's like there was plenty of places on the board where you could have something that really unlocked a lot but now it's really satisfying in mm-hmm. a way I, I i enjoyed it more because of the expansion which is saying quite a lot and highly variable too because you get all these different tokens that come out so now there's small towns medium towns and large towns and the medium towns all have these very powerful one-time tokens that you only see i think six of them in the game and there's 10 of them every time and so they're all going to be in different places um there are two very big end game decisions you have for your tr- for your train so uh, if you go a train strategy before it was all about getting to uh to was it new york was the end of the line no it was um Oh, what's the big end of the line one that was important before? Philadelphia? I'll forget. It'll come to me. It's not San Francisco because that's... No, it was San Francisco. No, you're right. That was, yeah. So getting to San Francisco was your goal before. And then getting there multiple times, you get points for every time you got there. But now there is San Francisco and New York City. And you can go to San Francisco and you are rewarded for how many station tokens you placed out. So if every three, you unlock a bell on your player order. And at the end, I think you get two points for every bell on that for disc you have there. So you could max out at 10 points per times you've gotten to San Francisco, which is big. 
But now you can go to New York and get a station agent, station agent token, yeah. which are the sort of permanent uh, end game scoring options and usually a little bit of a upgrade to how much money you get for cows every round by uh, your certificates going up. So those can be really valuable. And also there's a first one in gets the pick of the four when they get to New York and everybody else gets to pick one less. Um, so those are very, now even that, even if you go the train strategy, you know, you have two big decisions of, okay, what's my end game? Like, yep. what am I really going towards here? I, I will say though, I think with the powers that you gain by the extra stuff in the North that you're going to be quicker. Like I was pretty early to New York. I was pretty, I was yeah. like, got to San Francisco at the right time. But I still lost by a bunch. Because... Yeah, so let's talk about what happened in our actual game. So, uh, what 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 was your strategy, and how did it work out? I wasn't going super heavy cow. Yeah. I was trying at first to do a little bit more of a of maybe a builder thing. I was the person with the most buildings on the board by the end of the game. But that being said, I never really honed in on a strategy. Mm-hmm. I kind of got a little lost in the in the the weeds. Part of it was because I just kept on not getting to the right place at the right time with the amount of resources I would have needed to really unlock it. So although I, I tried to get the speed up of the game, I tried to run around a little bit, I wasn't taking my time in the right places, I realize in hindsight. But I didn't do badly. I got second. You got second place. You had 82 points, which is a very respectable score. Uh, Tom at 103. And if we look at his points, he he so he went full cow strategy. Yeah. Um, and while he did win, it's not because of his cow strategy. He actually diversified in a lot of areas. He had 32 points in cows, but he had 23 points in objective cards, right. which is an interesting thing because that's something that was m- sort of ignored in the base game. If it, They were pretty slow. They'd slow your hand down because they literally clog your hand up, mm-hmm. and they usually give you good power. But now there are, there are ways to to sort of cycle through your hand faster now because we have these chits, yeah. these new, uh, what were you calling them? You had a funny word Doublers, for them. Doublers. Doublers, yeah, like, but they're basically ditch two cards, draw two cards. Yeah. And so these allow you to cycle through your hand faster, and I think that makes objective cards more valuable because you're not, they're not clogging up your hand as much. Did now. you notice one of the things that, that got me slowed is because I got, a, I got a, one of these bonus chits that basically makes it so that every doubler you have or the the take mm-hmm. two, give two, get, every two you had gave you five points. And so yeah. I had five at the end that gave me a total of 10 points, mm-hmm. but I should have been using them to maximize my end end of round. Right. And so I kind of caught myself in one of these things. It's classic in a lot of these games. You get stuck on a, what ends up being not a big point earner, 10 points. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's not bad, but if, if I could have just gotten that money earlier in the game, I probably would have done much better. So. Yeah. Uh, you, you also had, you did very well in your station tokens and your objectives. Um, I went, I went full train. Yeah. I went full engineer and, uh, tried to place as many, uh, valuable station tokens as possible and valuable discs in far locations. A lot of the new, uh, rails to the North locations, when you reach them, they give you huge points, 25 points, I think for going to Philadelphia, 10 points for getting to other places like that. Um, so I was able to rack up 25 points just off dropping those discs, which was pretty good. I came in third at 70. Uh, but I think, I think I realized about halfway through the game that my strategy was going to be a little too slow for how fast uh, you and Tom were pushing. If you just it. had one more round. That, I do think if I had one more round, I would have been able to probably get another 20 points out of it. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, but the, at the same time, we should say that you have limited number of station tokens. And I ran out of them. I think Tom ran out of them. Yeah. Those station tokens, actually, and if you're not careful, houses, you're, yeah. you're not going to go everywhere with them. Yeah. No, you have to pick your route. Yeah. And and that's something that I think with increased play that I'm excited, again, that it's on our 8x8, that I'm going to I'm gonna figure out a little bit better where to go. Yeah. Dimitri had a little bit of a slower game coming in fourth. Uh, but, you know, we all tried different things. And I think this was sort of one of those, like, let's push the game a little bit and see. So I really wanted to see 
if I really just focused on train, which also has to have a little bit of cow in it because I need to be able to to push my train farther and and get more money paid for it. So it was sort of a cow train strategy. And I I think it was, I think it can work. I just think I I didn't uh, min max it as well as I could have. As one other element of the review, there is another side game that's happening where your locomotive is being pushed along and it has a position information like it depending on where it is you can get certain bonuses and and early in the game dimitri starts pushing mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of a leapfrog aspect and so i noticed that i was getting a little caught up in his game that way right. i was trying to leapfrog him at the right time and get to the right position and get these extra chits and they the extra chits really did help me but it's interesting how i mean it is part of the way that we're playing together at times but also, I think I got caught up in somebody else's game slightly, yeah. whereas I could have been focused on mine. That can happen a lot, especially when you're sort of in the same loop as them. You get in a point where you're sort of in the same loop, yeah. and you end up realizing you're chasing the, the same sort of cowboy builder or whichever ones you're trying to get. Or just it looks bright and shiny. It looks yeah. like a good strategy. It's yeah. like, you know, maybe it's a weakness of me as a gamer is that sometimes... I'll be a little flat-footed. I won't know exactly what I want to do when I see somebody doing something. Oh, that's really compelling right. and interesting, and it looks like it's a strategy. And so Tom felt that there is a building in the game that that pushes it towards a certain strategy a little too much. And he he, I think it's building two, which is just the there's a, making your own building wherein you can buy cows. So now you have two places on the board to buy cows. Yeah. And he felt that that forces everybody to go into cows a bit. Well, notice he did. And he did, and he won, but he didn't win just on that. I mean, he he really did a shotgun approach, and he got a lot of points on a lot of different I will areas. say he got into cows early, and yeah. he really led that charge. He also, I mean, he also has... I he mean, had 32 of, points in cows. I had 19. I had the second most points in cows. Yeah. Um, I don't think he... Did he build his building to buy... Yeah, he did build his build. He did build the building, he told us, that sort oh, of forces yeah. everybody into a cow strategy. Um but I don't. I, I I'm not ready to say that that matters anymore. I think I think that did force everybody into a, into a very specific strategy in the base game. I'm not ready to say that it does that with the expansion. I, I still think the expansion would allow you. And I, you know, maybe Tom likes to think that if he can do it, then he can always do it. But I think he uh, might have a little more experience with the game and be a little bit better in general at at strategy games. So well, we have a little bit of catch up to do. But if at given like- time, I think he could push that as much as he wants. And if one of us was doing our other strategy a little bit better, I, I, I don't think that he, would, that he would take the victory every time. I agree. And I think we can, be, we can have an awareness of it. But I think Tom also called, he's very Babe Ruth about it. He pointed towards the outfield and mm-hmm. hit it that way because he, he called that, that, that kind of play and then he did it. And we mm-hmm. should have been a little more cognizant of that. We should have had a little bit more idea of his board presence. Yeah. And he's a little more willing to house rule things, I think, a little quicker than I would. Um, I, 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 in fact, would rather not play a game than house rule it usually. Mm. Um, I, I, like, I, I always assume the designer knows better than me. It's not what I do for a living. I don't design board games for a living. Trey, he's allowed to maybe criticize it a little bit more. He does that for a living. Um, I don't. And so I, I, I will always assume the designer play tested this much more than I've played it and, 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 and knows that, that maybe it's a, it's a skill deficiency issue as opposed to a, a broken mech, mechanism issue. I, I mean, I, and I, I, I full, thoroughly enjoyed the game. It was as fun as it ever was. It, I think it's a real classic, amazing game. I would play it anytime it comes out. And I do think that we should be that those initial choices really do affect the board game more yeah. than just the play. And great. So just some stats here, two to four players. So this is a, a, a great two player game, great three player game, great four player game, probably shines at four. Yes. Um, I think three is, I think three is pretty great too. It's a little bit faster. Uh, I, I've, I've played it as two. I, it's enjoyable. Um, I, if you were looking for a medium to heavy game, 
this is, and if you only owned one medium to heavy Euro in your whole collection, this would be it to me. Now it's not medium. This is not, this is, I think this is heavier than Lorenzo. I think this is heavier than Coimbra. Uh, there's a lot of different pieces with different positions on your board. There's a lot of little exceptions that are happening that are really important. Yeah. And so it's it's worth knowing the rules. It's this, worth knowing the game. This is a bad first board game. Mm-hmm. It is it is complicated. There's a lot going on, but it is worth the time investment. And I it is not I would not call it a heavy game. You know, this is this is at about the same level as Trois, which yeah. to me is medium heavy. It's on the heavy end of medium. Um but I think it's I, I, I would say it's a masterpiece. I would say it's one of the I would say it's one of the greatest board games ever made. And I think this expansion balances it uh in a way that was necessary for people who played it a lot. Yeah. And who found the cow strategy a little samey after a lot of games. I mean, yeah. even if you if you, if you want to just buy the base game, you're gonna have a great time. You're, I, you, and it's I mean, gonna take and, a long time before you maybe feel like, oh, I'm sort of stuck in one strategy. I've seen people win with other strategies. I remember Paul won with a builder strategy once that was, and also I think I've seen Tom win. Yeah, with a but it, well, it can depend on sort of what, what comes out, how the yeah. board state is. Yeah, but it was it was awesome. I mean, it's a it's really nice how it's yeah. unfolded. And it's I mean, if you like deck building games, it's gonna scratch that itch. If you like hardcore, you know, resource management games, it's gonna scratch that itch. If you like map building games it's going to scratch the, i mean there's a lot of it does a lot of different things yeah. and it puts them all together and it, it creates a flavor that is uh very unique yeah um and it's also just a cool theme it's nice to have uh you know there's not many sort of fun western themes tom definitely larped it and spoke in a uh, southern accent <laughs> yes, the entire time yes, yes he, he did. did yes, yes he, he did. did did not stop kept doing it but at the same time i mean a it's uh it does present all the difficulties that, that these heavy to medium medium to heavy euros do where it's like the theme you could kind of throw it out, but it does add a flavor. It's something to it. Totally. Something where the dust. Oh, I love the theme. Yeah, I mean, you know, we put on some uh, Sergio Leone music, mm-hmm. and you know, we get into it. Uh, so I could not be recommending this more. If you don't own the base game, I, I really take a look at it, watch some videos, read the rule book, decide if it's something that you think you or your group would be interested in. And if you do make that investment, um, I think spending another twenty five dollars and getting the expansion is going to be worth it. I wouldn't jump into your first game ever with the expansion. I'd get to know the game a little bit before you add it because it does add it's a, whole, a whole new layer, a of, new dimension yeah. of the teach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would never. Well, it depends. If if I was playing a new game with somebody who was not very experienced in board games, I would not play Great Western Trail with them. <laughs> but if I did, I definitely wouldn't use the expansion on my first mm. play. I think that's just another little bit of uh, confusion for them. Especially if you're not utilizing it again, you're probably not in the game the same way. So, exactly. Yeah. That is our review of uh, Great Western Trail Rails to the North, a glowing review. Let's move on to the group member specific segment. <laughs> this is the part where we talk to Alfred. Hi. This this week, it's my my turn. Uh, I'm super honored to to be able to bring my point of view. So I wanted to express this idea of, so I chafe sometimes at the rules lawyer uh, identity partially because it is so much actually true Mm -hmm. and we of course rally against the things we are but then also like you know i've always had curly hair and i've always wanted straight hair (laughs) um but also on top of it i think it it, there is a little bit of this this idea that yeah we can ruin fun we game rules lawyers now everyone has a shade of this there's there's nobody who's playing a board game who just wants chaos yeah and most games in general there's all this like group thought so my my little segment is going to be about the rules lawyer intervention Mm. now this is the intervention both the rules lawyer intervening with another rules lawyer 
well, no, this is more like us rules lawyers, which yes. I will now I will now own this. Yes, maybe more so intervening with inner yeah intervening with your game group. Ooh. Okay, and as well as is oh, the, so how best to rules lawyer without uh, ruffling feathers, and also and also for game groups to um to to own up to their own rules lawyerness and and kind of intervene the op- opposite way, how to deal with yeah. a a difficult you know one of these itchy these people who just can't stop intervening in your game yeah you know and it's i've I've definitely found games before where i've gotten a bad board presence and Mm -hmm. people you know will start calling me out on things and it's just not as fun and so i i I understand that i own that and so let's talk this out let's how do you be a good rules lawyer how to be your best rules lawyer exactly if you are this is hey are you the rules lawyer in your group (laughs) alfred's gonna have a little he's gonna pull you aside he's gonna have a little talk with you a little arm around the shoulder come here buddy let's talk so let's first let's talk to take a knee let's Let's, take a knee let's talk to the rules lawyers real quick let's let's examine why you feel this way like what is it that's deficient in life that needs you (laughs) to to kind of intervene and necessarily play somebody else's game right so this is it's maybe a challenging subject but i really do think it's worth looking at why you feel like you have to and so sometimes it's because we've been burned as gamers i've had situations before where people have egregiously flexed the rules let's say yeah not necessarily broken the rules but but push them around and sometimes it is because you're in a place where there is like understandings of how people play or the game itself and some of these games have built in strategies that include this and so like what is it about our brain that resists this so much mm-hmm. so come to terms with that like maybe maybe the fun you're having is is being affected and decreased but kind of try to understand the context of the others you are playing with try to have sympathy and understanding just like they are probably having for your ticks for right. their ticks so because some people now obviously we don't play with cheaters and we wouldn't ever want to play with a cheater absolutely not uh, we would never give you advice for how to play with cheaters because the only advice is don't play with them yes but people inadvertently cheat all the time, <laughs> accidentally. An accidental cheat is you know, just a mistake, yes. which could throw off the whole game, and you don't realize it till twenty minutes later, or or never realize it. And that's you know, and it's it's, it's an intrinsic part of these games is that they're gonna they're you're, you, there's a reason we're not playing video games. There's a reason we're not playing in totally uh, spaces that we're not touching at all. Right, and and where all the rules are automated, and you never have to think about them. Exactly. There's something very special about coming up with a reality together, kind of telling a story together. Even if it is cardboard and and pieces, there's something really special about this medium, and that's why we're so attracted to it. And I think a lot of people, actually, their main argument against board games, uh, as opposed to video games, is that they go, well, why wouldn't I play something where it tracks all that busy work for me? A lot of people really hate that aspect of board games, all that bookkeeping, all that upkeep. Whereas I think people who are really drawn to the hobby yearn for that a little bit. There's a part of them that enjoys seeing all the number crunching behind the scenes or seeing uh, making you know having all the the, the rotating uh, gears be in your hands and there's, there's where the creativity partially falls is those like little fringy spaces where you see an opportunity uh, uh, something that the rules allow but don't necessarily spell out yeah. that you can do something really um you can jump outside of the reality and kind of create a moment where it maybe it means victory or maybe it just means a really awesome play that doesn't even necessarily result in a great victory, but it's so satisfying in the way it can kind of add into something. Yeah. And you are affecting your other, the game state around you, but it is really good to be aware of your own game presence. Like, are you physically vibrating? Are you making noises? Are you being disruptive <laughs> to the game? No, right. I'm serious. Yeah. Cause like I've definitely had these moments and I've seen it in other players too. There's other game identities that also can be frictional to a game night. And just, it's good to have a macro. It's good to get outside of the individual play and what's annoying you in that moment and see the game as a persistent 
as a persistent vehicle, right? Like right. you were hopefully going to be with this group more. You were going to play with them more. You're going to have other games. You're going to have other opportunities. So if something in that in those brief moment is, is setting you off, maybe just take a breath, take a, take a moment. Most of the time you don't have a clock on you. You don't mm-hmm. have to be worrying about it and you can kind of see it through. Yeah. Be, be aware of your, of, of, of your role yeah. in a game group. I think uh, we have given you a bunch of archetypes. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're one of those, maybe you're a different one, but every one of those archetypes definitely has something that they should be aware of even as my as the game enthusiast i really have to be aware of is 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 my enthusiasm the same as somebody else's uh just because i'm very excited about something doesn't necessarily mean that anybody else is going to share that enthusiasm uh and that i need to be very aware of what other people want to play and not always play what i'm most passionate and excited about and instead try to uh try to uh, ride somebody else's wave of enthusiasm as opposed to always trying to make them catch mine like 18 xx 100 and that I'm, I'm dealing with that right now but it's it's great though too and so and one other thing i would say to, to the rules lawyers out there and to those who are verging or who have, have fully they've uh unzipped and they are rules lawyers complete. <laughs> in the, in the uh, uh battlestar galactica terminology right, yes. right let's not confuse that yeah totally um, <laughs> but they've they've really come into their own you have an important important role to be if, if you are not the teacher of the game which is not my state but i know many rules lawyers out there really enjoy having that kind of intrinsic understanding of all the rule state you have this great role to play where you can help shepherd people through the kind of the confusion of the pieces or the confusion of the rules and help them get to their best game they can. That's right. So don't be... It is a superpower, but it also has a weakness. And the great weakness... Be aware of your kryptonite. Yeah. And and don't be afraid of your superpower. And and maybe it's one of those things too where it's so like I've I, I enjoy winning, but I also really enjoy seeing somebody play the best game they can. Yeah. And And part of that is that they're playing it by the rules. Totally. You don't want to, you're robbing someone of a victory if they have won and have not followed the rules. Or, or if they don't even realize they've won, but they have. That's right. And there is plenty of moments in these games where it's like, hey, you, you missed collecting those four coins. And with those four coins, you're going to get your set. And with the set, and like, and we also, yes. And that's also an interesting thing because some players will get annoyed by that. Because mm-hmm. uh, there's, there have been times in our group and I've, players have been annoyed when I have pointed out. Mm-hmm somebody's better move and that and then and they have the right to be to a certain extent because part of this is you know if we all had the exact same information and aware of everything uh you know but well i guess part of strategy is seeing things that others don't see and so if everybody is if a more experienced player goes well actually if you did this move you would do a lot better and that then defeats somebody else i can understand why they'd be a little annoyed personally for me i often feel like if it's still our first couple games or something Let's all help each other get up to the same level because then the game will be so much more fun once we're all strategically the same. And then once we can all sort of feel like we're at the same strategic level, then yes, if you're helping another player out, that's not cool. But I also even don't even think necessarily as a rules lawyer you have to help somebody out because it's not even about pointing out strategy or opportunities. It's just pointing out what actually is happening. Right. That's part of sure. what's getting good about getting the rules straight right. is that you actually... Something, right. So that's the difference between strategy and just like, oh, you don't realize that you could actually trade those in for blah, yada, yada, yada. And it's, it's not even that necessarily. Like you actually did the thing, but you missed the thing that you did. Oh, I and see. And that happens okay. a lot in these right. games. There's fidgety bits yeah. where somebody will either, you know, just it, it's the incorrectness that you can help course correct a little bit. And it's, so it's not even about 
telling them what to do at its best. At its worst, it's totally, it can be very much prescribing actions for somebody else. But it's at its best, you can help them have the best game they have. They already are living, they're already doing, but you're just, you're there with them, rooting them on, even if it does mean that you don't take the victory. Mm -hmm. And at at its worst, of course, you have all these other things that you're exactly describing, and I think you should avoid that. So on the flip side, just not to draw on too long, but as a game group, if you have that fidgety rules lawyer that you love and you adore as I hope I'm accepted by my game group. I feel it. I feel mm-hmm, the warmth mm-hmm. around me. But so if I have, if, if I am to, to play my best game and, and just kind of own this identity as a game group, others can basically make the game as, as least OCD as possible. If there is, and this is something that our game group doesn't always do. If there is one place where the money lives, for instance, or the chits or the the resources, yeah. let them be in one spot. Don't make multiple spots around the board where right. that stuff. Assign lives. a banker, yes, if you will. It's like it, that's always a good thing to do. If there's if there's money in a game, assign one person to deal with that. If there are chits or tokens in the game, put them by that one player. They're the one. Yeah, we often have a very messy table when everybody has equal. I mean, we have piles. we're playing with eight people sometimes in some of these games, and things are really far away, and it's hard to ask that same person to do basically play their own game as yeah. well as be the banker, right? It's 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 a lot of work sometimes in some of these games, but it it for for someone like myself where it's very frictional to have these different piles that I'm 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 intrinsically keeping track of. Sure. So as a game group, if there's ways to minimize that kind of mess, it's very helpful. Also on games that are you know some of these games are designed in such a ways where the board state is really important, where where things are on the board if you happen to have sleeves or if you have drinks near the board or things that basically could could ruin the board yeah it's very it means it's something again that i'm keeping track of and i again i don't feel like i have ocd in my life i don't feel but i, I am keeping track of these integers partially because that is part of my enjoyment yeah so if if as a group if you can decide all together to to, to make it so that there's less fidgetiness in the system. And, it, and again, like a lot of these games necessitate that, but just minimize that. Accept, yeah. the, accept your rules lawyer or your rules lawyers yeah. for who they are and, and you can make their lives that much easier. And you know, when you see one of us have a meltdown, maybe just take it in stride. Yeah. Realize that we're all we flawed human beings. With We all have shades and gradients of these kind of these sometimes disruptive behaviors and it's sometimes good to roll with it and that's one of the things i hope that this podcast brings to light is that uh, we all we all serve different we all have played different parts in our game group whether you're aware of them or not um and they're all uh they're all of value or they're at least uh worthy of respect and everybody's everybody enjoys games in slightly different ways uh you know find a group that you all enjoy being together or else what are you doing but after that it's about respecting the ways that we all enjoy them differently. And the rules lawyer has a wonderful presence in every game night and every game night deserves to have one. Uh, but also, you know, some rules lawyers may need a little, uh, uh, you know, a gentle talking to in terms of how to best present it so that they're not stepping on the enjoyment of other players. Yeah. But also recognize that that's how your rules lawyer enjoys games is by being the rules lawyer and let him or her uh, lean into that. Mm-hmm. And I think you'll find great benefit in your group. Yeah, confide in them. When you're teaching the game to, to someone who, who wants to keep track of such things, just confide in them. Let them know. Let them ask the questions. I think this is true of all gamers, but just the rules lawyer will probably be really interested in that kind of stuff immediately. Yeah. And be you know listening on... on and if on, you're the teacher, 
You were lucky to have a rules lawyer in the group. Yes. And you should, you should definitely like use that person. Yeah. Let them know what games you're playing. Maybe they want to learn the game before game night starts. Maybe they have the time. Totally. Send them a video, a playthrough, so that when they show up, they, they're, they're ready, they're prepared, they can even help you teach. Maybe they even want to teach. Maybe your rules lawyer wants to really get involved And in some that. people learn really differently than just playing. Some people really learn in ways that are, are reading or, mm-hmm. you know, like there's all different styles of learning. So some, some rules lawyers may indeed want that. And so, the nice thing about our hobby is there's so many different ways to learn, by the words, by reading the rule book or watching a video or a playthrough or a Twitch stream or... Mm-hmm. Uh, or a podcast. Yes. Whatever your route is. So thank you for hearing me out and uh, respect and enjoy this beautiful hobby, sport, passion, love. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, Alfred. We are now moving into the board game sommelier. I take your (laughs) request and I answer them. Board game sommelier. (laughs) So uh, Alfred is uh, a wonderful musician who goes by the name Daedalus. Uh, you can find all of his links on our board game pod dot game board game pod gamebrainpod.com. But when we did record uh, a whole bunch of sound drops, which he used in our beautiful opening theme song, which he made. Which you may not know, actually, that a lot of the uh, percussive sounds yeah. in the original song, which you'll hear at the end. Yeah, perhaps. again, we'll open and close. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the songs were actual sort of board game folly. Here is uh, a box fart. That's an actual board game being opened. Uh, and from our clo- game group. From colloquial, our game group. Colloquially known as a box fart because it sounds like a fart when you open your box. Here's a different box fart. That's a pretty good one. Uh, we also recorded some, some dice. No, those are chips. Those are chips. The sound of chips. What's this one here? That's dice. That's, yeah. I could listen to that all day. Another, another one? Dice tower. Dice tower. That's yeah. like dice falling through a tower. Ooh, that's Tom doing a nice riffle shuffle there. Yeah. A very nice riffle shuffle. And then one more little, and that's, that's, I think that's a D12 if I had to. Yeah, different I, flavor. If I had to really put my finger on it. That's a D12. And then that's a box fart. Some chips. That's a D6. Yeah, you can definitely tell the difference. D12. Yep, D6. I mean, just by hearing it, I know. Just by hearing You've it. done it enough. In life, it's happened. It's definitely happened. So That's a satisfying I, I, am, I am super happy to bring a sonic, uh, <laughs> little sonic fingerprints to, to our podcast. And uh, I'm very honored to, to yeah, help give it a sonic identity. So thank you very much. <laughs> well, thank you for making our wonderful song. We really appreciate it. Let's get into some emails. Hi, Maddie. What single-player board games would you recommend? As a father of two young children, six and ten, what games would you recommend that aren't childish and too simplistic and aren't Monopoly? And finally, would you recommend as a game group, what would you recommend for a game group for newcomers casual to play on a Sunday afternoon while digesting Sunday lunch? Good Cheers, sir. Sol. Mm. Thank you, Sol. Uh, your first one, I will answer. We have this is our first question about solo board games, uh, or as he calls them, single-player board games. But um, solo board games are a completely viable way to play games. Now, a lot of people think uh, if you're going to get into board games, you have to have a whole bunch of available friends who can come over to your house or you to theirs and play board games. You do not. There are a lot of great board games that are wonderful solo experiences. And there is nothing weird or uh, strange or uh, worthy of mockery of playing a board game to yourself anymore than there would be of playing a video game by yourself. Um, some of my favorite solo games, and yes, I too play solo games mm-hmm. when I uh, cannot get my game group together, or even sometimes I just want to play a solo game. They're very different. They play very differently. They Arkham be, Horror yeah. LCG is the best solo game I have ever played. Mm. It is a deck building game where you are taking uh, a detective or uh, you know two detectives through a mystery and it, it's sort of like a very, very interactive choose-your-own-adventure um, with crazy good deck building in there and just awesome stories. Um, they're each sort of, uh, there's like three different storylines so far. They're on their fourth storyline mm-hmm. right now. They're almost like seasons of a TV show. 
Everyone comes with new cards that you can work with when you're deck building, but they also come with new scenarios. Check out Arkham Horror LCG. Just buying the core box will get you like three great scenarios that you can run through. It's a whole campaign. It's a great solo game. It's also a great game to play with friends. I think it works best as a solo game. I think it's mm. a perfect sit down, play with cards, and, and go through these wonderful stories. My other favorite is sort of similar, which is Seventh Continent, which is a Kickstarter exclusive, but you can find copies floating around. And that really is uh, choose your own adventure with rules. Mm-hmm. Um, you are going through a very long story. The story can often, excuse me, this, to get through the story can often take 20 hours just by yourself. Well, it's very and it's, satisfying. It's, it's very satisfying. Of, yeah. You're, you, the adventures are great. Uh, it's a beautiful game. Um, and if you want just a really fast solo game, there's a really, really fun dice rolling game called Deep Space D6, mm. which is basically a Star Trek episode uh, wherein, it, or sort of every Star Trek episode, wherein they, you get a, a distress signal and you warp into a place to find yourself surrounded by enemies and now you have to survive until backup arrives. Uh, and that's every, and, but it's, it's basically just rolling dice and plate and dice placement in order to man, you know, your ship is in front of you as this beautiful little board and you roll dice and certain dice can only man certain parts of the ship. So you, your captain's got to go up here and you know, your three dice are going to become your lasers and it's very fun, very quick. It's like a 20 minute game. That's a great little fast, uh, awesome little solo game. Uh, games for, uh, children six and 10. I would recommend everybody who has this question to look into a line of games called Haba. H-A-B-B-A, Haba Games. It is a German uh, company that makes gamer games for everything starting from from infants. I mean, they've got games for Mm two-year-olds all the way up to 10, 13, 16. Uh, Some of their most famous are Karuba, K-A-R-U-B-A, and Rhino Hero. Both of those are going to be great games for six to 10-year-olds. And and the whole point of Haba is that it was a board game company made for children in which parents won't hate playing them. That's incredible. That is why they were designed by. It's a German board game company, and their whole goal was let's make children's games that the parents aren't going to want to hang themselves when they have to play it every day. We must be in a golden age of board games because I just remember the limited supply of broken games, Monopoly being king of them that I played as a kid, and I just hated it. You don't ever have to play Shoots and Ladders again. You don't ever have to play Monopoly again. (laughs) Go pick up some Haba games. You, the parents will enjoy playing them, and the kids will enjoy playing them. That it is a great thing in terms of uh, casual games I, we, we, I'm, I'm gonna at some point gonna stop answering the casual game questions until i have some new answers but i'm gonna always give you your basics of azul patchwork splendor splendor's great splendor's great these are just great solid little quick games that anybody can play that are uh definitely a great way to while away a sunday afternoon uh maddie i have a five person group who i regularly meet with for a 5e dungeons and dragons campaign good for you recently someone floated the idea of taking a break from the regular session and playing a good crunchy board game Immediately, I blurted out Twilight Imperium. The group seemed to be in the setting and genre, be into the setting and genre, but not cool with the nine-hour runtime. Yes. What grand strategy, 4X-type game, would you recommend that is under four hours and somewhere between Twilight Imperium and, say, the Firefly board game, which I also think is good? I'm so stoked for the new pod. Paul. Thank you, Paul. Right off the bat, I'm going to shoot you with Gaia Project. Yes. Gaia Project is a wonderful, crunchy, 4X-ish Enough. You'll scratch that itch. Yeah, there's some discussion. Um, great, heavy, beautiful Euro. It's on our 8x8 challenge. Uh, a lot of wonderful player interaction. You will get that 4X space conquering, asymmetrical power feel. It is uh, the 
Euro version of Twilight Imperium in a lot of ways. And I think it plays a lot faster. I'd also say Eclipse. There's a new version of Eclipse coming out. The old version is also really fun and a great 4X game. There's a second edition coming out this summer, I believe. But look into Eclipse. You can probably get a good first edition price on one right now because people are going to be dumping them when the second edition comes out. And you can have plenty of accents. You can do your LARPing as well. Yeah, there's a lot of aliens in that one too. Lords of Hellas is not a space game, but a very fun four-player sort of dudes on a map uh experience with a lot of player interaction a lot of take that a lot of different victory conditions i also think your group would enjoy that um twilight imperium uh is is you know what's funny i've never played it that's one of the main big games i've never played i know what it is i totally get it i also just don't have a group that would want to spend nine hours on that game i know uh there's a little too much dice rolling a little much randomness it isn't for our group, my group totally, yeah. to do we will play an 18xx for nine hours but i don't think we would play ti for nine hours Would uh, you recommend any any fig based persistent games i mean that's what's like fig based well like uh the big game the the huge game that the bgg number one gloomhaven gloomhaven i mean yeah well gloomhaven is i mean it seems they already have a campaign going yeah. on they want a one night sesh i just you know just maybe one of those things where they just want to be that, i think that's gonna uh, infringe upon their D D time i think they Appreciate just they that. just want a diversion they want to let's take a break from uh you know attacking the frost dragon not to attack it frost dragon yeah, yeah and, and to instead uh attack each other in a 4x game yeah uh so yeah guy project would be easily my number one um long time listener which is funny <laughs> thanks so much best fantasy themed card game for two beginner players best card game period for two beginner players mm. no pop culture bs please interesting yeah shake it up champagne signed amir yagmai really good friend of ours yeah uh, amazing music maker amazing make musician make as blush. well um, i'm gonna say keyforge amir keyforge is your game and i know you were on the road a lot playing music uh keyforge is you just pick up two decks that cost ten dollars each and you and another person can play that game all day long in your tour bus and you will yeah. have a good time playing you and it. julian casablancas can play <laughs> keyforge all day long uh that to me would be the best two-player card game right now out there uh last question from teddy king uh matt former actually we will do one more quick one after this one uh former get up on this listener future game brain listener here appreciate that i enjoy trivia based games chess and some other less generic games but get a little turned off when a game is too complicated and requires too much effort of me in terms of rules and parameters up front Mm -hmm. what gateway game if you will would you recommend for a dad like me the super casual board gamer thanks my dude well if you like trivia games my favorite board game trivia game is a game called America, a party game where close counts. Uh, you can probably, I think you can still get America for quite a good price on Amazon. It is called America, and it is a board game where it's a trivia game where you are trying to guess what your friends know. So it is not a game where you have to know much. You just have to know how much you don't know yeah. <laughs> and how much your friends know. So, for example, you have a question that comes up and it's like, Everybody goes in turn order betting on what they think the answer is. And you can bet on them yeah. or you can bet against them. And there's some fun strategy in there. If somebody, you can act like you know everything. You could be like, oh, I know the answer to this one, guys, and be very confident. And everybody can follow you. And then once everybody's wasted their actions following you, you then go to the real answer and they don't have any way to follow you there. And then you just go, I don't know anything. But I didn't, I, I, guys, <laughs> I pretended that was the answer. It's not. You guys don't know anything. Uh, but it's a really fun trivia game. Um, I, I play, nice. I, I play it with my parents. I play it with, I've played it with other people's parents. It's any, this is a game that literally anybody can play because it's just a trivia game and it's written. And, and some people are turned off by 
Trivial Pursuit games because it can make you feel dumb. Well, this is this is so nice how it's basically rewarding the group play. It is, and it's not about who knows the most. It's about how well do you know everybody else, and and do you know what they know? Right, and that's really fun. So I would really recommend America. Uh, it's just called America, but uh, it's uh, the tagline is a party game where close counts. Yeah, uh, you don't have to know the answer; you just have to be close. Uh, last one is from a uh, former important member of uh my board game uh, sorry my podcast world mm. uh meme up on this real name troy okay. uh who makes wonderful memes for my last podcast and has now started making wonderful memes for this podcast so uh follow meme up on this m-e-m-e like memes uh meme up on this on twitter and you will see all of his weekly memes about the game brain pod i'm so glad he has jumped over to the new pod and is making wonderful funny inside joke memes only for people who listen to the show amazing uh he troy said i play some board games with my friends and i'm always playing the games they have i'd like to be able to bring a game of my own to the table without breaking the bank any suggestion of a decent medium weight game that suits four to six players and what's the best place to get games generally speaking Mm. board game geek ebay etc also not sure what makes a game ameritrash or not so a little background of terms would be nice well Let's do it. I will let you know. No, we are actually not going to do this. Oh. Next week, we have the casual gamer, Jake Shapiro, right. on. We are going to be doing a board game primer. I'm going to go through all the terms. We're going to get cash. We're going to get simple. Dress gonna, down. We're going to dress down. This is going to be an episode that's, that's going to have a lot of good stuff there for people who aren't necessarily uh, turn four. deep into it. Yes, uh, turn four round one is going to be a casual episode. Still going to be getting some inside baseball in there for all you real board gamers, but you can wear your I'm going to answer all those okay. questions next episode, Meme, and I, I promise to uh, define all of the the fun shop talk terms like uh, Ameritrash. Um, 4X2, which we used a lot already. A great medium weight game that you can bring to a game night, Meme, the answer is Concordia. Yeah. You're going to want to grab Concordia. I wouldn't even pick up any expansions. I would just get base game Concordia. Plays perfectly with two three, four, or five. Not going to get you up to six. There's not a lot of great six-player games out there that are medium weight. That's the funny thing. Six-player games often get heavier. Yeah. Four to five-player game. Concordia is your jam. Cannot recommend it enough. It's on the 8x8 challenge. All I got to say, it's a modern classic, uh, and it is solid medium weight. I have taught that game to non-gamers, and it takes them one game to grok it, but on game two, they're gonna something's going to click, and they're going to realize how awesome modern board games are. Mm-hmm. that is always my go-to it's the gateway drug that is that is the modern gateway drug to me but it is a game that anyone in our group will play also heavy gamers love concordia because it is it's perfect it's perfect and elegant and just awesome and there are if you get bored of one map they sell a million other expansion maps sort of like age of steam uh but what comes in the box first is great plop that down on your uh board game night and uh your friends are going to be very glad that you picked it up um that's all the questions i'm going to take this week as always uh send your questions uh to gamebrainpod.com you can email me at matthew at gamebrainpod.com or just go to gamebrainpod.com and uh in the contact section there you will find a way to just email me directly from the website you don't even have to use your own email browser thingy and if you want to game the system just remember next week's the casual game so send in your casual game questions i will answer all your casual game questions next week um I would like to thank Alfred so much for coming on this show this week. What a wonderful, fun episode. And uh, for your amazing theme song. Uh, At least I'm just so uh, impressed and happy that the podcast could have already gotten this kind of traction and that it will continue to with all the box farts and theme (laughs) songs. Uh, I pressed the wrong button. I meant to do a box fart. Now I have to wait for your whole song to end. Uh, We will hear it again, though, at the end. But I do love your music so much. Uh, Also, uh, I'll plug him because he's not going to plug himself. Uh... 
gamebrainpod.com to find all of Alfred's uh, links to all of his uh, work as Daedalus, the incredible musician. I'm sure you're aware of his work. Um, Alfred has also made a mix just for your game night. If you have Spotify, uh, we are going to start to curate some playlists for your... Yeah, it's already amazing. The last two game nights, I have been playing it uh, with our whole group, and it's a perfect mix to have on in the background while you game. And I'm going to be linking it right now. If you're hearing this podcast, go to my Twitter, GameRainPod.com, find the uh, our, our Twitter and Instagram and all that. You will find links to Alfred's wonderful game night mix. Next time you're at a game night, put it on. Try it. Yeah, put it on random and to see where it takes yeah, you. Yeah, exactly. And then we're going to be making other ones in the future. I don't want to. I don't want to overpromise, but there are going to be some more like specifically themed for like say a train type game. Or, I love that. Or if we're talking more of a classical themed game that is happening in Italy, because there's so Ooh, many, there are. Let's, let's we get like an adventure theme for like a you know sort of a dungeon dive kind of situation. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, what about it? Yeah. What about <laughs> really? <laughs> what I mean, about a medium weight euro that takes place in Afghanistan? I mean, yes, okay. I would be amazing to be able to do that, but also <laughs> no, probably. Um, is there a medium weight euro that happens to take place in Afghanistan? No, but there's some heavy ones. Pax Pamir is coming out. So okay, there you go. See, there will be. We'll, we'll make a playlist for it. Let's yeah. think of it that way. All right. Send in your suggestion for a playlist that you oh, want to hear made, and we'd be great happy too. to try. We have a Facebook group. I would love you to join it. It is a, I'm hoping that it becomes the main community of board gamers, a place for everybody who listens to this podcast to come together, uh, give each other suggestions. Hey, maybe even meet up and form board game groups right there. Wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, on Facebook, just search for Game Brain Group. You'll find it. Uh, you know, as, as with all Facebook things, you have to click a little button to join. And then somebody, one of the admins, which are all eight of us, uh, can, you know, see it and respond and, and add you to the group. And you can, uh, you can directly talk to Dimitri. <laughs> <laughs> and guaranteed, wherever you are in the world, there is going to be other similar minded people. You just don't know it yet. They might not know it yet. Your passion, your infection will spread. Yeah. If we know anything about like, uh, those contagion games, yeah, it'll spread. Pandemic style, yeah. yeah. Couple last box farts before we take off. And you've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. You can reach me at email at matthew at gamebrainpod.com or on Twitter at gamebrain underscore pod. Thanks for listening. And go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games. Perfect. <laughs>